The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, Buffalo Bills fans, Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at buffalorumblings.com, and this is Buffalo Rumblings Q&A. As always, your questions are so important to us at this show. It's a really boring show without good topics to talk about, and that's where you come in. You can send us your questions via voicemail at 716-508-0405. Email us, buffalorumblings at sbnation.com. Send us a tweet at rumblingsq&a. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle of it. Send us a message on Facebook, on Instagram, where Buffalo Rumblings at both of those places. You can leave comments in the comment section at buffalorumblings.com in our show notes articles when they publish every week. There's lots of ways to get in touch with us. This week, there are some questions that got me up on my soapbox. A soapbox is a raised platform on which one stands to make an impromptu speech, and I certainly make my speeches this week, and you guys gave me that raised platform. Thanks for that. Stay tuned for some great questions, and go Bills. This week, we've got a special soapbox edition of the Buffalo Rumblings Q&A podcast. We've got questions that have uh, juiced me up. We've got answers that might be a little bit longer winded than normal and a little bit more zealous than normal. We're going to start with a question I'm getting a lot, and that's whether or not we should be excited about the Bills in 2019. You know, it's summer, and as I see people out and about at festivals, uh, 4th of July picnics, family members, friends, folks I haven't seen for a long time, they tend to talk, to, try and talk to me about the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, uh, you know, what did you think of Josh Allen in 2018? Or, you know, is he going to take the next step in 2019? What about the Bills in 2019? Th- those are the kind of questions I know I get when I go around because people, you know, I'm wearing a Bills hat and people know that I run Buffalo Rumblings and, and they ask me my opinion. And I'm not going to be here to poo-poo anybody's opinion of the 2019 Buffalo Bills. I think there are definite signs as 2018 wore on, that the Bills were turning a little bit of a corner on offense with Josh Allen, with Brian Dable. They're going to return both of those guys in the same roles this year, which is something the Miami Dolphins and New York Jets can't say. 
Uh, it's something that the Cleveland Browns can't say. It's something that all of those rookie quarterbacks from a year ago can't say, that the offensive coordinator is going to be the exact same guy that they started with last year. And so having Brian Dable and Josh Allen together for that extended period of time is really going to help with his development. And of course, I'm focusing on Josh Allen right now when I'm talking about the 2019 Bills because he's going to be the biggest deciding factor in what's going to happen with the 2019 Bills. Ed Oliver is going to come in and play very well. But, you know, how much better than Kyle Williams, even at his age, how much better can he be than Kyle Williams? A game difference? I mean, is he going to make enough plays in one game that Kyle Williams wouldn't have made in order to change the outcome of a game? Probably not. He's going to be, you know, a factor in a lot of those games, but he's probably not going to be, you know, wins above replacement, you know, a win or or two above Kyle Williams. But Josh Allen has the possibility to do that. Even uh, the offensive linemen have a possibility to to do that, even though if they only change three or four plays a game that, you know, there's not a holding penalty or a sack allowed or something like that, then maybe you can have a, a better offense in 2019 just based on the changes of the offensive line. Um, a guy like Cole Beasley or John Brown might make one game-changing play every game and might get you, you know, a win that you didn't have a year before. So there's, you know, I'm looking more at the offense than the defense because the offense had the most plays to gain, the most opportunity gain, um, and get better over the course of this offseason. So, I mean, is any of that guaranteed to happen? Heck no. So when people ask me if I'm excited about the Bills, I, I say I'm excited to see what they're gonna, the offense is going to do this year because that really could be the make or break of the Buffalo Bills in 2019. And if you are solidly on the Josh Allen hype train, please, by all means, stay on the Josh Allen hype train. If you're still wait and see on Josh Allen, as I think a lot of us are, that's fine. You can stay there too. I like watching Josh Allen play. I'm not convinced that he's going to be the guy that leads the Bills to the promised land. So, I mean, those are two separate conversations. Sean McDermott has room to grow as a coach. Josh Allen certainly has room to grow as a quarterback, and the offense in general has room to grow. If they can can do special things, um, even just improving would be a, a step in the right direction. So I'm excited to watch the Bills in 2019. Uh, we'll get into record predictions later, but uh, I just say I'm excited to see what happens during training camp, preseason, and into the regular season. And that's the question I'm getting a lot this week. Our Twitter question of the week comes from Anthony Marino at Anth Marino on Twitter. He has his own podcast on Buffalo Rumblings podcast network called Breaking Buffalo Rumblings. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter and uh, download his podcast. But he asked the question that is a soapbox worthy question. If you were to buy a Jersey of a current Buffalo bill, whom do you consider the safest bet? It's a great question because, you know, a lot of people might say at Oliver because he was drafted so high and touted so high coming out of college, but there's legitimate questions about his, his body size that some folks, you know, might be worried about. He's never played in the cold, clearly been from Texas and Houston. Um, can he make the transition to the NFL and be as successful as some of the other guys with his body type? Sure, that's definitely possible, but it's not necessarily like a guarantee. I don't know if I want to say the words guarantee about anybody, really. Um, I saw Tredavious White popping up 
as a guy that a lot of people are thinking he's the safest bet. But, you know, there's no guarantee that guy's going to be here after his fifth year. Um, he might want to move back closer to Louisiana. He might want to move closer to his family, his friends. He might want to get a bigger payday. Just look at what happened with Stefan Gilmore. We always thought Stefan Gilmore was a good player in Buffalo. He took a massive contract, became one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the league, and got to play with the best team in the league and the best defensive coach in the league. So, you know, there's a lot of factors in play with with a guy like that. Um, I'm going with the Brian Galford answer. He was asked this a long time ago, uh, Brian Galford, the founder of Buffalo Rumblings. And uh, when he was putting his hard-earned money on the table to get a jersey, he got Fred Jackson because even into retirement, Fred Jackson's a, a jersey he can still wear and he can still you know, wear that to the tailgate, wear that to games. And, and people are like, yeah, I remember Fred Jackson. He was awesome. He was great. Good guy. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Lorenzo Alexander if if I was getting a jersey right now. He's a guy I would look to. Now, I know he doesn't have the longest track record, but <coughs> hear me out on this. Alexander's going to be the guy talking to the media the most on the defense this year with Kyle Williams gone. He's been with the Bills for you know several seasons now. He had that Pro Bowl year. He was named Pro Bowl MVP. He's a leader in the locker room, a leader on the field. And I just think that he's a safe bet, even if he's only going to be on the roster for this one last season of his contract. He's not a guy that's going to fall off a cliff or get into trouble and you can't talk about him anymore. And if you just go through you know, the rest of the roster, I mean, it's not going to be LaShawn McCoy. It's not going to be Frank Gore, who's here for a one-year deal. Um, it's not Josh Allen, who's really volatile at, at this young stage in his career. Nobody on the offensive line, nobody in the tight end room, nobody at wide receiver. There's just no guy on offense you would even think about getting a jersey for right now, unless you're all in on Josh Allen, and I wouldn't fault you for that, for getting the quarterback shirt, jersey. You know, that's just, that makes sense, but... I'm not going to say he's the safest bet. Uh, then you look at the defense, maybe a Jerry Hughes, a guy that's going to be you know, working on his third contract with the Bills, uh, certainly has a long track record. But you know the Jerry Hughes, Gary Hughes thing where he kind of goes off and gets those really random penalties, probably not a guy I'm going to be thinking about getting a jersey for, even though he is super talented. Uh, Star Latulale, talented, but you know he just plays a position that people don't really hold up as as being this great you know, guy that you would want to root for and wear you know on your back the whole time during a game um just looking down further down the roster maybe a matt milano um or a Trade, um, tremaine edmonds not tradavis white i already talked about him uh those two guys are are certainly folks that could have a long distinguished career with the bills those two guys i think are pretty safe bets even though they're super young, both on their rookie contracts. And, you know, again, you don't know what could happen with them going forward, but Sean McDermott values linebackers. He's proven that over and over again. And Brandon Bean saw that in Carolina. They let go of their cornerback, Josh Norman, who got a big payday somewhere else, and they kept their linebacker, Luke Keekley. So, you know, if, if, if you're looking for safe guys, I would think both of those linebackers are probably a good bet to be on the roster long term. Um, even the safeties, Jordan Poirier, Micah Hyde, they're going to be coming up on free agency again in the near future and uh, could be gone. But Lorenzo Alexander is a guy that I wouldn't have a problem wearing for you know years into the future. Um, if you're talking about younger guys that are going to be on the roster for an extended period of time, I would go with Milano and uh, 
Tremaine Edmonds in a heartbeat. I think both of those guys, uh, particularly Milano, who has shown it over and over again, um, but again, has the, the injury he's been dealing with. So is he going to come back 100%? I don't know. But those guys are, are guys that Sean McDermott values, Brandon Bean values, and have shown really well in their limited time with the Buffalo Bills. So I'd go with one of those three linebackers. It's a great question. Thanks, Anthony. And you allowed me to rant for a good chunk of time here. <laughs> Anthony sent in his question at Rumblings Q&A. Our next question also comes from Twitter. At Toka Blunt asks, I'm not much of a podcast guy, but here's one. If Ellen starts to flame out, how long until we see Matt Barkley or Tyree Jackson? Got sick even typing that. Ellen's going to light it up this year. Well, thanks for your question. And um, we did an article about this a couple weeks ago and you know got a lot of shade for it. We, we took a look back at the last few Bills quarterbacks of the future, quote-unquote quarterbacks of the future, and a lot of those players were replaced in their second season as starters. So J.P. Lossman or E.J. Manuel, and you can go further back and look at other guys that were inserted into the starting lineup, but they were replaced in their second season. So at some point this year, if Josh Allen isn't starting to turn the corner, you could see a coach replacing him. But the Bills have set themselves up to pretty much ride and die with Josh Allen. They have Matt Barkley, who's obviously been a journeyman. They have an undrafted rookie as their third quarterback who is very raw, and I think folks are really going to see that once training camp opens. So they really don't have another viable option on the roster. Now, at this point in time, E.J. Manuel didn't either. They brought Kyle Orton in very, very late in the process during training camp. I think it was after training camp. And he eventually usurped E.J. Manuel in, in the starting lineup. But I don't see that happening with this coaching staff and this general manager staff. They're not playing for their jobs in 2019. They went to the playoffs two years ago. They've got a, probably another year um, to get it right, even if 2019 doesn't go their way. They'll have the 2020 offseason and the 2020 season. So I don't think that the urgency is there to... to uh, to pull the plug on Josh Allen during the 2019 season. Um, if they're 1-10 and 10 or or something like that, I, I don't even see them going in that direction um, unless Allen is just absolutely melting all over himself. And just even watching the way he played last year and was able to get out of bad situations, if he kept playing at that level, the level that he came into the NFL with, I think that they can't pull the plug on him with who they have behind him right now. If he regresses from where he was in his rookie season, which again, typically you would think that that's the baseline, but if he regresses past that and you know, can't hit the broadside of a barn and can't use his legs to get out of trouble, then we can start talking about replacing him. I just don't see it with the guys that they have on the roster right now. Thanks for your question. At Rumlings Q&A. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey 
Bruce Nolan at Bruce Exclusive asks us on Twitter, another one of our great podcast hosts. He's uh, part of the Nick and Nolan podcast on the Bills, uh, the Buffalo Rumblings feed. Uh, Bruce Nolan asks us, what is your preferable stadium solution long term for the Bills? And this question, when this question came in, this is when I knew it was going to be a soapbox episode of Rumblings Q&A. If you've been following along to Buffalo Rumblings over the years, you'll know that I really enjoy going to Bills games. I do not have season tickets, but it's more of a time and money thing rather than a I hate partying kind of thing. I, when I do go to the games, I'm usually there when the sun comes up and I stay until after the sun goes down and we have a great time when I'm there. Um, but I also see a lot of people that are crossing that line from a great time to you know, drunk and disorderly or um, what's the right way to say this? Hooliganism. Um, some of the stuff that happens in the parking lot shouldn't be happening in the parking lot. I'm a guy that doesn't believe in table smashing. I'm sorry. I know it hurts your feelings. It's not because I don't want you to have fun. It's because I think people are going to get hurt and have been hurt doing that stuff. Um, I'm not a huge fan of guys getting out there at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning doing funnels and um, throwing stuff at at Patriots fans as they walk into the game or or things like that. I am on record saying I think the Bills should move their stadium downtown because it would address some of these situations. And all those folks that say that it would ruin tailgating, yeah, that's kind of the point. There's people out there that have money that want to bring their kids to a Bills game but wouldn't put their kids within 100 yards of what happens in the parking lots in the stadium. You know, do you want this drunk guy spilling beer on your 8-year-old kid sitting next to you at a Bills game? No. Or dropping F-bombs or throwing sex toys on the field next to your you know, 12-year-old daughter? Probably not. And those kinds of things are the, the reason that I want a stadium downtown. Is it going to cut out all of that? Heck no. Bills fans are going to find a way. I know that. But it's going to cut down on a lot of it. And it's going to make it a better experience for families and for you know, folks who don't necessarily want to go just for the tailgate. Um, I've gone to games and just tailgated and watched the games in the parking lot. I think that's a great, fun experience. But there's a lot of people that take advantage of that, too. And it can become problematic, as we've seen over and over and over again with Bill Sands whether it's a guy sliding down the railing and then falling off the upper deck to the lower deck or the people that get hurt in the parking lot are filmed doing questionable things in the parking lot. And I mean, the, the Pinto, the Pinto tailgate stuff where they're doing ketchup and mustard and everybody's all in on that. That's, that's awesome. Keep doing that. Um, cook, cook food on, you know, saw blades and all that stuff. That's great. That's really cool. Uh, bring your, your tailgating buses and campers and all that stuff. That's awesome. It's great. I want you to keep doing that. But it just becomes problematic when Bills fans are just known as drunk, stupid hooligans who only care about tailgating and you know, destroying crap during their tailgates. So I know I might be in the minority for some of my listeners, but I feel strongly that the Bills shouldn't stay in Orchard Park for their uh, next stadium build. 
they should go downtown and it has nothing to do with economic revitalization or or, or bringing people to downtown buffalo i think that that's going to be kind of crappy trying to deal with the the traffic and, and all the stuff when the infrastructure's in place in orchard park but it has a lot to do with the fan experience and you know i can't bring my family to a game because of what happens at the bill stadium and i think that that's something that is going to need to change uh no matter what happens with the next stadium send your angry tweets to at rumblings q and a and i'll address them whenever you feel like it back to the soapbox we go at nw autobahn asks are the bills doing a good job of developing talent from times gone by we draft and unless it's a highly motivated late round pick we miss the boat on developing the player i don't know if that's necessarily true they developed robert foster a little bit last year when he was cut from the team but put on the practice squad and then brought back to the active roster later in the year. We've seen them routinely develop defensive talent, and I'm talking specifically about the Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean era here. We've seen them develop defensive talent, whether it's at linebacker or cornerback. The biggest place they're having a problem developing talent is the entire offense. Um, Think of any homegrown Buffalo Bills that have been successful on offense over the last, I mean, it probably goes back a decade. Like, think of the last homegrown Bills player on offense that ended up being really good. Um, you probably have to go back to Cordy Glenn, or um, I'm probably missing somebody, but it's, it's very difficult for me to think of an offensive player that was drafted by the Bills and developed into a solid talent, uh, whether it's on the offensive line, or at one of the offensive skill positions. So that's been their biggest problem. It's one of the reasons they haven't been able to get over the hump, get to the playoffs, have any sort of sustained success, because they haven't been able to develop offensive talent through the years. And that goes, of course, back before Bean and McDermott were here. So no, I wouldn't say that the Bills are good at developing talent. I would say they're good at developing certain types of talent. Um, Again, going back before Bean and McDermott, you had guys like Ronald Darby coming in as a second-round pick and doing really well and developing into a solid uh, cornerback. Before that, it was Stephon Gilmore coming in and developing into a solid cornerback. But in the Bean-McDermott era, you do have Tredavious White and underrated guys that didn't play as well outside of Buffalo. Think of your Jordan Poyer, who came into Buffalo and really exploded onto the scene that's still developing talent, but it's all been on the defensive side of the ball. It's a good question and something worth monitoring as Brian Dable enters year two as offensive coordinator. Because if you think back, one of the reasons that the Bills have been unable to develop offensive talent is they've been switching over and over and over and over again. Uh, Think about a guy like John Miller, who had two really good seasons on the offensive line before his offensive coordinator changed, his blocking scheme changed, and he kind of fell by the wayside over the last two years of his rookie deal because he was trying to put a square peg in a round hole. So it's it's definitely something worth watching as Brian Dable enters year two as the offensive coordinator um, around a guy like Josh Allen or even Robert Foster with a tight end like Dawson Knox. 
uh, the running back Devin Singletary. Like they have pieces in place that should be able to develop on the offensive side of the ball, but can they actually do it? It's a great question. Thanks for it at Rumblings Q and A. At Nickbat asks us on Twitter. Sent in to at Rumlinks Q and A. It's fourth and short. What's your play call? <clears throat> well, I like this question a lot, and with my massive California quarterback Josh Allen, I'm gonna if it's fourth and one or fourth and really short, I'm going to put him behind Mitch Morris, the guy I just paid a truckload of money to, and I'm going to try and have them pick up the one yard on a quarterback sneak. If it's fourth and one, it's the most likely play to convert. You don't have to spend time getting away from the line of scrimmage. It's a quick burst. The center knows when the ball is going to be snapped. The quarterback knows when the ball is going to be snapped. And it gives them an advantage. Uh, if Allen takes the, the snap and then turns and hands off to a guy with a head of steam, he might have a head of steam, but so might the linebacker and defensive tackle that are pushing the pile already. If you're just trying to get that one yard, the quarterback sneak is definitely the best way to go. Um, just look at the success Tom Brady and the Patriots have had using it over the years. Um, fourth and, say, two, uh, I might be more willing to do a you know, shotgun snap, have a couple quick pass options, and then Josh Allen scrambling with his feet as a possibility as well. That's kind of the old uh, two-point conversion play where you know, you're just looking to get some movement underneath guys moving east west not necessarily north south to to pick up the extra yard or two that you need on fourth down it's a high percentage pass usually or you can pick it up with your feet especially in other places on the field not necessarily at the two yard line you um have a better chance of success because there's more options so you have a guy that can go an intermediate route 10 15 yards down the field Guys that can do some crossing stuff underneath. I won't call it a pick play if you won't. And then you have, again, the option of, of running it to the sticks or the end zone if all of that breaks down. And this one is definitely something I want to get on my soapbox about. Not necessarily what the play call would be, but the fact that NFL coaches and Sean McDermott in particular have proven over and over again that they're not very good at when to go for it on fourth down. Uh, McDermott seems to be getting just a touch better, uh, but his, I guess, mentor, Ron Rivera, was famously bad for this and uh, completely 180 changed it around, so he was called Riverboat Ron. The fourth down bot on the New York Times is something that I look to a lot because they they crunch the data, they, they use the, the meta-analysis stuff to, to discuss when you should go for it, and the fourth down bot says you should go for it on fourth and one, starting at your own nine-yard line, no matter what. And uh, I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty remarkable because I don't think most people wouldn't say that. But their philosophy is that well, if you're if you're fourth and one on your own nine-yard line and you punt and you get 40 yards net on the punt, which is a good punt, then you're giving the other team the ball at midfield. They only have to gain one first down. Uh, maybe two to get into field goal range for their kicker. If you go for it on fourth down and you miss it, 
Well, then you have three shots to prevent them from getting it, three or four shots to prevent them from getting in the end zone, and then their kicker is going to be able to kick the field goal from there. So statistically speaking, there's not much risk in going for it on fourth down on your own nine-yard line. There's a greater or almost an equal risk of punting it away and having them get 10 yards and getting into field goal range. So that's kind of the whole philosophy behind where I'm coming from with going forward on fourth and short. And I know most coaches don't see it that way, but if they looked at the data, it's, it's hard to argue against that. Um, I'm definitely going for it on fourth down uh, late in the game when we're down by a score and uh, we've seen that with Sean McDermott before, and it was during the snow game that the Bills didn't go for it on fourth down. They punted it away. They were able to get the ball back um, because the Colts did not play it correctly, um, and, and they were able to get it back and then eventually go to the playoffs. But the Bills were in a tie game in overtime with the clock ticking down, and they needed to score to keep their playoff hopes alive and Sean McDermott still wasn't willing to, to go for it on fourth down. And I was, I was very critical of him at the time for it. And everyone's like, Oh, they won the game. What's it matter? I'm like, well, it matters because eventually they won't win the game. And statistically speaking, that stuff evens out. So I'm a big proponent of going for it on fourth down and it just bears out in the statistics and the numbers. It's better for your football team. If you go for it on fourth down more often than not. You can follow at Nick Bat on Twitter and check out his podcast with Bruce Exclusive. It's called The Nick and Nolan Show on the Buffalo Rumblings channel on your favorite podcast app. Our last question comes from Ron from New Mexico. Who sends in a series of questions? I'll just pick one that I haven't really touched on so far today. Um, how can Josh Allen be expected to develop without a true number one receiver? Tim Graham had an interesting article in the Athletic sometime during the 2018 season. I forget when it was about how few "quote unquote" number one receivers there really are in the NFL. And how many teams have a player that is like the go-to guy in every clutch situation, even if he's double teamed? And we can all name a bunch of them off the top of our heads going back. Calvin Johnson or um, Andre Johnson back, you know, what, a decade ago. Um, Nowadays, like A.J. Green or Julio Jones, even an aging Larry Fitzgerald. We can name some of these players. And we can certainly remember Randy Moss going up and getting the ball over triple coverage or something like that. But in the NFL today, it's more about spacing and timing. And so creating those mismatches underneath is kind of where the game has been heading since the West Coast offense was introduced and uh, the extended handoff and just getting it into players' hands in space, whether it's a running back on the swing pass, like in the West Coast offense, or using the pick plays and you know, your little Julian Edelman underneath pass plays where they can break it off for another 10, 12 yards after the catch. Uh, Tight ends have become increasingly more important. Um, Rob Gronkowski was the Patriots' number one wide receiver for a while there. And the Bills haven't had any of that. They haven't been able to develop a wide receiver or a tight end or 
any passing game, really. Uh, how can Josh Allen develop without a number one receiver really depends on Brian Dable being able to scheme openings for him to hit. Um, so whether it's you know a quick pass because a cornerback is playing deep and then the receiver like Cole Beasley is able to make one guy miss and pick up 12-15 yards on a play or it's John Brown taking the top off a of defense or Robert Foster and you know, dropping that bomb into the breadbasket for you know the 70-yard play that opens up everything underneath and then now you have to s- some some working room underneath um how can he develop without a number one receiver? He's going to have to hit the passes to his number two receivers that he has all over the field. I don't think Robert Foster is a number one receiver. I don't think any of them are a number one receiver. And so he's going to have to pick and choose where he distributes the ball, whether it's on those intermediate passing plays, 10, 15 yards down the field over the middle, or if it's the swing passes, whatever it is, he has to be more accurate, he has to be decisive, and he has to be able to read defenses. And that's, again, a lot of film study and a lot of Brian Dable's scheming. So they certainly can do it without a number one receiver. It's certainly possible. I don't know how likely it is, but it's certainly possible that he can develop without a true number one receiver. I don't think they should give up on trying to find a number one receiver but it's certainly possible that he can take the next step in his development this year without that true number one guy. Thanks for your question, Ron, at Rumlings Q&A. Thanks again for the great questions this week. Thanks for listening on my soapbox. You can always contact us with your questions at 716-508-0405. Leave a voicemail or send us a text there. You can tweet at us at rumblings Q and A with the word and spelled out in the middle. Send us an email, buffalo rumblings at spnation.com. Uh, Instagram and Facebook messages work. Those are both Buffalo Rumblings. You can leave comments in the comment sections of buffalorumblings.com in our show notes. Make sure you check out all the podcasts on the Buffalo Rumblings network. We come out about once a day now uh, with the number of podcasts we have. So check them all out. Go Bills.